have an opening? Yeah, it's always... Hello, Owlets! I'm PB. I'm CJ. And we're... The, the Gahooligans! We are joining you here today... For book three! Yeah, which is titled The Rescue. The yeah. Rescue. And it's got this really epic picture of our soon-to-be antagonist that we've had hinted at for the last two books. He's finally arriving. Uh-huh. It's gonna be great. So speaking of rescues, you know who is a rescue? Our dog? Yeah, our producer, Miles Rib. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, we need a Miles Minute here. I didn't have one prepped. Um, let's see. What are all the names that we call Miles Rib? Oh, Bubs, Bubba, Buddy, Miles, Mr. Miles, Mr. Moo, um... Miles Skipsworth, Skippy, um, Bitey Boy. Well, and then I have the various insults that I... Th um, uh -huh. Wrinkles McStink Butt. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the whole range of insults. See, I, I sometimes call him Swiper to specifically say no swiping Swiper because he is a thief. He is a thief. Today he stole two separate pairs of underwear. He is a dastardly thief. And he feels no remorse. No remorse whatsoever. Anyway, I am really excited for this third book, actually. Uh, especially after the second book, because, you know, I, I had my my opinions. Yeah, we were pretty negative on that second book. It was pretty bad, <laughs> I think. But I feel like after after having reread this third book now, I feel like this is where the story starts. Where there, yeah, the series yeah. can begin. Yeah. Which is especially fun because, like, I think this is where I stopped reading in my childhood. Yeah, you said last time that you stopped reading after this book. I think I read, I remember this book. So I think I read this book. I don't think I remember anything past this book. Which is a real travesty, actually. Because it's got some good stuff going on. Yeah? I, I got themes here. I'm ready with themes. We're going to dive into that next episode, I suspect. Oh, first things first, just, I always forget to ask this. Uh, what chapter are we stopping at in the rescue we today? We are going to stop on page 99. Okay, so we're starting the rescue, I guess. Can we jump right into plot summary? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you remember, I'm, I suspect we're going to get less and less as we go on here of what you actually remember. So hit me, hit me, PB. Okay, so we finished the last book. With uh, the band joining up with their chaws, Soren getting into a forest fire and doing a cool move to like snag a coal and survive a thing that should have killed him. And Twilight was part of Search and Rescue who found a bunch of downed owlets from a fight between St. Aggies and You Only Wish. And they were all just babbling racist babies, including Eglantine, Soren's little sister. Babbling racist babies is the best way to describe I that. I think that's exactly what we settled on last <laughs> that's time. That's exactly what it is. You called them little freaks. I was like, that feels unfair. <laughs> babbling racist babies is much better. And we fixed Eglantine at the very end of the last book by showing her a piece of stained glass. Yep. Yep. Rather than anything thematic. You are missing one very important piece. That the rest, this whole third book is based on, and you forgot. Oh, yes. Uh, Ezelrib goes away. Ezelrib goes away. Now, if you had to hazard a guess of the time jump or not between the second book and the third book of just how long Ezelrib's been gone, what um, would you guess? Let's say one cycle of the moon. Two cycles of the moon. Which is a lot when you consider how few cycles of the moon these owls have had. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's been two months of Ezelrib just being spronkin' missing, and nobody's gone looking for him. Most important owl, most revered owl in this tree, nobody's gone looking. Fascinating. Fascinating. I wonder if some people have some interests there in him staying disappeared. Wow, that's dark. I don't what? know. I don't know. Maybe someone else wants their turn at the weather interpretation shaw. That's really dark. I mean, okay, I guess you're not, like, that doesn't come up in this book, but you're not 100% off. You're not on either. Like, that's not it, but you're also not wildly off. Okay, but that's not even the start of the plot. Like, we haven't even started the plot yet. 
because that was just the end of the last book. Right. So in the first half of this book, we just you just said it's been two months. Um, so everyone's kind of settled in. Um, if I remember right, Eglantine's having a hard time fitting in. Not so much, actually. No? Eglantine's already got a bestie. Yeah, Ruby. Is that her name? No, Primrose. 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 Ruby. Ruby is in Soren's Chaw. We okay. do see a lot of Ruby. I got those two flipped. Yeah, Primrose is a, a slightly younger owl. She is the one who was carrying uh, an egg. She was carrying an egg, trying to fly out of a forest flyer, fire. Uh, a florist flyer. A, a florist flyer. She was trying to fly out of a florist flyer while her parents were gone, and she dropped the egg. Oh, and she had I like a whole lot of guilt. I don't it, think we talked about that last time. Uh, it wasn't. It was at the very, very end of the last book that we met her. Um, I believe just before the Great Downing. Oh yeah, that's what they call finding all the outlets is the Great Downing. The Great Downing, just pretty great, right? Well, it was. I'm down with that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, a massive tragedy, but okay. Yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. So yes, that's where we start. Go, summarize. Um, okay, so Soren is upset because he doesn't have a teacher who he finally started to respect at the end of the last book. That is, I kid you not, almost word for word what Soren says or thinks to himself. Quote, Soren, I'm upset because I don't know where my teacher is. Semicolon, who I finally started to respect about two months ago. There is, I kid you not, a line about how off-putting Ezelrib was, but how he's come to respect him anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Twilight is... Sorry, I am fully just guessing here, because I really don't remember at all here. Like, I kind of remember a couple things from the back half of this book, but nothing from the front half. <laughs> the back half of this book is definitely where a lot of the plot components come together. Mm -hmm. The front half is going to be a lot of mystery setting. Yeah. Uh, if I remember right, Twilight is a lot more gung-ho about, like, figuring out, like, what's up with the Great Downing, what's up with all these outlets, like, what's happening out there? Yeah, absolutely. He is team get up and go uh -huh. in this book and like i feel like gilfie is there with him but wants to like go in with information rather than just go and gilfie does kind of take a back burner yeah it, like she's still around she's still still gonna do things with our chaw but really of our our chaw of chaws team um oh yeah Dicker, that's what they call themselves the chaw of chaws yeah that's us that's the chaw of chaws yes Anyway, Digger. Digger and Digger and Twilight are really gonna be the wingmen, if you will. Yeah. So those two are pushing. Soren's just like, no, we can't do anything without Ezelrib, I'm sure. Well, sort of. Um part of what Digger and Twilight are going to push for is a journey to go find Ezelrib. No, that was the last book. Too bad. <laughs> No, this was the rescue, so yeah, we can go out and do a rescue, but it can't be a journey. <laughs> I wonder if we should just switch titles and the last book was the rescue? But who were they rescuing from Eglantine. what? Eglantine. Yeah, but that was like a single chapter. I mean, arguably Without... so is the rescue. Yeah, but like we know... Okay, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Alright, so yeah. So, but for some reason that I do not remember... The band is not allowed to leave the Gahul tree to go look for Ezelrib, even if they want to. You've definitely got that part so right. So they'd have to break the rules. I just don't remember who's setting those rules or why. Unclear? It's just kind of assumed that they're not allowed. Okay, okay. Like, Which, I guess it is a hazardous flight, for sure, but like, it proved competent. It's actually hilarious to me now that I didn't even consider that. Uh-huh. Like, my rule follower brain just said, yeah, no, of course you aren't allowed to leave. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. like, that's definitely how I read it originally, too. <laughs> but thinking about it now, it's like, wait a minute. Like, is this something that, like, the uh, king and queen have established? Is this something specific to owl owls who are still young in their chas? Like, who's allowed to leave the Great Behool Tree? Okay, so here's another interesting thing that you just said. Owls that are young in their chas, they're adults. Yeah, but they're still, like, young adults. They are young adults, but, like, at, by this point, it is established, in fact, it is established in the first three chapters uh -huh. as we meet some new owlets. Mm -hmm. um, 
these are full feathered, like they're jaw members. They're they're adults for all intents and purposes. <laughs> they don't always feel that way yeah, because they're yeah. written to be, you know, read by children. But I think even owl maturity wise, you'd have to correct me. I'm, oh, owl fact. I'm master. pretty confident you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that they're like, just all full grown by this like point. Like once you've got your flight feathers, you're considered full grown, I'm pretty sure. Or at least matured. Yeah, matured. Like, I'm sure there's still some growth that happens, but, like, every all the the growth that needs to happen has happened. So you're right. They they do have to escape mm-hmm. the Gahul tree. I feel like it takes a long time to get to the point where they actually leave, though. It does. It does. Um, let's see. Um. What if I gave you a hint? Please, give me a hint. What if I told you that thematically, this book is about... Grief and loss and the aftermath of grief and loss. Um, like we have a lot of time with Eglantine trying to adjust to life here and Soren trying to help his sister and not really connecting with her in the way that he wants to. We really don't. No? We have, we do have, I will give you this, we have a chapter from Eglantine's point of view. I feel like that does happen, but it must be in later books. Yeah, I think, because uh, we're going to see more that and more like of Eggie. book five, I want to say, is a yeah. lot more Eglantine focused. Yeah. You can feel her starting to become a, a kind of side member of the Chaw. Yeah, yeah. So the very first thing we do. Yeah. Ezelrib's missing. Somebody else is in charge of the weather chaw. It's like Poot or whatever, you know, the, the secondhand dude. Uh-huh. Um, he's not super great at his job, even though he's a good weather flyer. Yeah. And so the first thing they do is take new owlets from the downing uh-huh. into a hurricane. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't, okay, in Faraday, they don't mean to. They think they're just going to, like, a little storm, but they're not. It's a hurricane. Yeah, yeah. So about the same school safety standards as a Hogwarts. Or worse. Yeah. I I don't know if you could do much worse than Hogwarts. Most of this first half of the book is conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, So this this hurricane is going to take us out of the tree for the first time, but we talk to Octavia. Do you remember Octavia? I don't. Or... Octavia is, uh, runs the, shoot, which, the cha that Gilfie's in, right? No, that's nope. Strix Struma. That's Strix Struma, okay. It, you have to hear Strix for anything to be related to navigation ever. Okay, okay. Um, no, Octavia is a nestmaid snake. Oh! She is Ezelrib's nestmaid snake. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we start off talking to her, and she gives off these good, weird vibes. Uh-huh. You know those vibes of just weird conversation of, what did I just walk into? Yeah, absolutely. Or, like, somebody vague posting on Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Octavia's gonna vague post on Facebook. Yeah. Grandma got Facebook, <laughs> and she's posting in a weird way, and I don't really feel comfortable telling her that she's doing it weird, but also, like, Grandma. Oh, yeah. So they, they have this whole conversation... About this mysterious comet that's an omen floating over the tree. And what are you doing? Well, I'm looking for Ezelrib. What are you doing? Well, I'm looking for Ezel. They're both just sitting on the tree looking at this comet. Uh-huh. Uh, and then finally goes into, I just don't understand. Soren said, he's too smart to just get lost. And Octavia shaking her head, I don't think he's lost, Soren. Then what does she think? Does she think he's dead? <laughs> Our fabulous little dummy uh-huh. um, is trying to read between the lines of a much older and wiser uh-huh. old lady um, who, as soon as she hears that there's been gossip about what Ezelrib might be doing, or where he might be, is like, who's talking? Who's that? What do you want about? Get out of here. <laughs> and the conversation just ends yeah. out of nowhere. So we have this awkward conversation and we know mm-hmm. something is up with Octavia. Uh-huh. Which is great because she's going to be cool later. I completely forgotten this character existed. I don't know that she ever matters again beyond this book, but I decided I love her. All right. Great. Great. And speaking of characters I love, um, Spronk on Udlissa. Okay. We're, we're back on this we're train. We're back on okay. this train. Okay. 
I'm going to read you the world's most awkward flirt later, and you're going to love it. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked to Octavia. Mm-hmm. She implies that something's up with Ethelred being mm-hmm. missing. Mm-hmm. And then we have this terrible flight into a hurricane with some owlets, mm-hmm. um, which is arguably, like, only happens because Ethelred isn't here to read the weather. Yeah, yeah. So you've established that Ezreb is gone, and it matters that he's gone. Like, he was a kind of irreplaceable yeah, part yeah, of the Gavul yeah. tree. Um, and the reason I said Spronk on Utlissa is uh-huh. because she starts getting her redemption arc. This is where that begins. We start trying to redeem the world's most annoying know-it-all. Okay. Was she really bad enough to need, like, a full redemption arc? I mean, obviously she was, or Catherine Lasky wouldn't have done it. We get, arguably the point of this hurricane is for Utlissa to show that she's good with kids. And I don't know, breedable? What? (laughs) Look, we're going to get awkward flirts and we're going to show she's good with kids the way you do with female characters when you're trying to pair them off. I'm bitter. This is what I had to grow up on. Uh This was my female rep. I'm still getting over you just saying breedable <laughs> in that tone. And, like, honestly asking myself, like, is that, like, does that meet, meet the language guidelines of our show? Like, no, it's not offensive. It's uncomfortable. It's fine. Yeah, all right. Look, yeah. our listenership needs to feel as uncomfortable as I feel whenever I have to read Utlis's name. Okay. By the way, oh, point of order. I figured this out when I was putting up the last episode. Uh. How do you spell Utlissa? Uh, that would be... Hang on, let me find it. O-T-U-L-I-S-S-A. So, wouldn't you pronounce it like Otulissa? Wouldn't there be three That's syllables That's worse. There? That's four syllables. Otulissa. Oh yeah, well, an extra syllable. Well, that's worse. That's more pretentious. You can't judge someone by their name. They didn't pick it themselves I just did. most of the time. I, we like, have no proof of that. We have no proof she didn't choose it herself. All right, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. So, we're on the Otulissa redemption she, arc. Yeah, she's starting to get her redemption arc. She's talking about, like, how, oh, no, racist baby. Um, Glocks wasn't the first Taito. Glocks was the first owl for everybody. We're all the same and related. Like, you know, we've got to make her yeah, anti-racist, yeah. Utlissa. Um... And then Mommy Utlissa, which is even more uncomfortable because she's the only one who knows how to deal with these owlets. Uh huh. As well, they're flying into a freaking hurricane. Well, Soren sure as Rackdrops doesn't know what to do with baby. No, he pretty much says says that. Yeah. I feel like he had so much experience being baby that he really should know what to do with baby, but I guess not. Who saves them from the hurricane? This is important. We've talked about this in the past. It had to happen. Um, my first instinct was Twilight, but I don't think that's what we talked about before. It so. is not a named character because nobody in these books would ever think to name. Oh, seagulls. Seagull. The seagulls save the owls from the hurricane. I just feel like that needs to be pointed out, especially after all the... Uh, wet poop talk that happens at seagulls, uh-huh. even in this book, even as they're being saved by seagulls. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the seagulls. I'm sorry I talked bad about you on the show before. Um, I also, I, I, like, I don't, I don't know what allegory these seagulls are supposed to stand for, but there is an allegory here. When you have a seagull come in talking like, oh, it weren't nothing. And that's how their dialect is written the whole Uh way through. There's an allegory there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But now they know they have to fly on. The seagulls save them. Mm -hmm. They get directed toward a spirit wood. What what is in Glox's name is a spirit wood? Well, this is kind of what I would like to do for our owl vocabulary today. Ooh, yes. Instead of owl vocabulary. Owl geography. Ah, yeah, 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 absolutely. So we have the spirit wood, Uh which is its own sort of unclaimed country. 
I shouldn't be looking at this map. You right should now. not. There is a map in the start of all these books, and you should not see it. But name for me, if you can, as many owl locations. Let's see. We have the forest of Taito. The forest of Taito, where Soren was born. Yep. Uh huh. We have. Shoot, it's the desert that Gilfie and mm-hmm. Digger are from. And I can't remember what it was called. Kunir. 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 And it's very, very small in comparison. Uh-huh. Also worth noting, we have the kingdom of Taito. Oh, yes. The kingdom of Taito. Yes. But yes. only the desert of Kunir. Kunir mm-hmm. is one of just a few owl countries that is not a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We have... The canyons where St. Aggie's is, and I can't remember what that place is, it is named either. It is called St. Aggie's Canyon, so you got it. Okay, okay. That's Which, two? This is just a thing I just thought of. Um, We ever meet any other owl saints, or is there only ever St. Aggie? That's a good question. Like, having saints implies a lot about the structure of owl religion around thoughts. Yeah. yeah, just just some more food for thought is like, Hool's going around sainting owls. Also, you, like, maybe Freudian slipped there. Hool? Is Hool a saint? I don't know. I feel like we eventually learn what Hool means, maybe in some of, like, the prequels or something, but I might be wrong. Oh, uh, all right, we've got the Sea of Hulamir, where the Great Hool tree is on an island in the center. I kind of gave you that one with Hool, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we have the beaks, the mm-hmm. mountains, the sharp mm-hmm. mountains that we took passed through in the journey and that's where we ran into like the mirror lakes yep yep um i feel like those are all like the places we have been so far where is hortense from do you remember that one? Oh, i don't hortense is from the forest kingdom of ambala also a kingdom uh-huh. i don't know who all these kings are but there's a whole lot of monarchs reigning around here somewhere uh-huh, uh-huh. and there is um yeah will you give me a hint to anything else i might be missing I think I'm not going to get anything else shooting in the dark. Well, we are going to head to one of these places in this book to find a slip gizzle slash uh, blacksmith. Is that what they call blacksmiths? Slip gizzles? No. We have talked about slip gizzles a little bit. Have we? Slip gizzles are spies. We have not used that word before. I have definitely used that word before. I will listen back through the first four episodes and prove that you have not used that word once. I defy you to insert that here in edits. I will leave you a blank space to do it. If you heard nothing, it's because CJ's right, as always. See, here's the thing is I can just edit in and (laughs) say I'm right without actually doing the work. I know. That's what I get for not knowing anything about audio technology. Actually, honestly, you need to listen through the first four episodes and send me a timestamp of when you used the word slip gizzle. Oh, you're going to put it on me? I don't want to do the work. I did the reading work. Well, you're you're asserting a positive. I'm asserting a negative. If you want to prove you're positive, you just got to find proof. I think you're dodging the point because you don't know what remaining kingdoms there are. Yes, you are exactly correct. Okay, I need at least some sort of hint. So we are going to go to Silvervale. Silvervale in this book, and that is where we will find our Slip Gizzle blacksmith. Um, also bordering Silvervale is the Barrens and the Shadow Forest, which I don't remember the Shadow Forest. I don't either. I remember the Barrens as like a place that I feel like we go at some point. Sort of. It's, you or, know, barren. Or someone is from there, or like we pass through there at some point. I think we flew over it at one point in the journey, but there's literally nothing there because it's the Barrens. So. All right. Am I missing anything else? Um, sort of. But it's not on the map. And that is the Northern Kingdoms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which are just an arrow pointing Uh off the page. Which is really disingenuous since they're actually very important in this book series. Oh, they are? Yeah, they won't be yet, but we're going to start getting them mentioned. Uh And they're going to come up again. Let's see. Oh, yes, and then also up to the uh, northwest, we have Beyond the Beyond. Which is where we find wolves, but don't even worry about that. That's a different book series entirely. <laughs> well, not entirely. That's a mostly different book series. Okay, so I feel like I got a solid D on that geography test. Uh, definitely. 
D for delightful. I was looking for something to say D for. D for... Disappointing? Hmm. I'll have to think about it. Anyway, so we go to the Spirit Woods. Is this still with the Owlets who were all thrown off course by the hurricane? Yes, and naturally we can't let those Owlets stand guard in this weird Spirit Wood that everybody's afraid of because it's Spirit Wood. Uh-huh. Uh, so Soren's gonna stand guard. Oh yeah, so Spirit Wood is just a classic haunted forest, yeah? Everyone classic haunted? haunted forest, oh yeah. Good, good. Yeah, so Soren's gonna stand guard with, let's see, he's got a couple of the other, so this is like the uh, weather interpretation shot out here, yeah? So we've yes. got Soren, we've got Odalissa, mm-hmm. we've got Primrose, mm-hmm. we've got, um, what did you say the, 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 the substitute teacher's name was? Poot. Poot. We've also got Ruby and Martin. Yes, Ruby and Martin. But Soren is the oh, wait, one. Wait, do we have Primrose here too? Not yet. I, I flipped Primrose and Ruby again, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, Ruby is here, not Primrose. Yeah, Ruby who had trouble reading. Yeah. And Martin who was very small. Yeah. I like that all of these owls have like a single characteristic and that's all you're supposed to remember them for. Making my life easier. <laughs> uh, but so Soren stands guard. Um, they're all sleeping on the floor of Why? the forest. Because the the nooks of the trees are haunted with scrooms. Oh, that's a good new owl word. Scrooms. What's a scroom? Um, you might meet the scroom of Christmas past. Oh, oh yes, they're Scrooges, of course. They're yeah, they're they're ghosts. No, they're scrooms. No, we already talked about the owl afterlife. They're ghosts. They're scrooms. Are they owls that didn't go to Glamora or Hexmire? Yes, that is it exactly. They are owls who cannot move on. Okay. Who some manner of unfinished business. We answered our question from the last episode. What would have happened to Eglantine if she had died? She would have been a scroom. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty sad. And we're going to, like, we're going to come back to this. Yeah. This is where we start talking about grief and loss and the aftermath of that. Because the scrooms being here is not really about their unfinished business. It's about Soren. It's about our goodest boy. Yeah, because he hasn't really, like, processed the fact that his parents are 100% dead. Right. Or or why. Uh Uh-huh. He hasn't really thought about why. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we get this, we get this scene. False light? No. Not false light, Soren. Scrooms? If you must. Mom? Da? He floated over the mound, but when he looked back, he saw his own figure still standing there. He extended a talon, but it was transparent. And then he lighted down on a branch. In that instant, Soren realized he felt, in a strange way, complete. It was as if there had been a hole in his gizzard, and now it had been filled and closed. He simply reached out with his talon to touch his mum, but it simply passed through her. Am I dying? Am I becoming a screw? No, dearest. Blah, 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 blah. He knows it's them. But why? Why, after all this time, were they here, seeking him out? Unfinished business? Is that what it is? We think so. It was the voice of his father in his head. You don't... know? Not exactly, dear. We're never sure. We know something isn't right. We have feelings, but no real answers to these feelings. Are you trying to warn me of something? Yes. Yes. But the hard part is we don't know what it is we should warn you about. (laughs) So we have a whole chapter, a whole hurricane, adding up to the fact that Soren's dead parents... Don't know what to worry about. So, so what you're saying is that this chapter is just Owl Hamlet for eight-year-olds. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, I wonder, I wonder if that's what you intended. Because that's kind of it, exactly. I think I got the episode title there in one. <laughs> that, that is exactly what this is. Hey, kiddo, somebody in your family's bad, but we don't know what's wrong. Um, beware Metalbeak, maybe? Ooh, Metal Beak. That's a new word. That's a new person. It's a character we've never met before at all. 
Yeah, we get this glorious foreshadowing of, um, Soren could not form the ideas in his head to tell them about Clud, and they could not tell him about the danger. Metal! Beware Metalbeak! Gee, I wonder why we mentioned Clud and then immediately jumped to, you know, uh-huh. Metalbeak. Uh-huh. Bum, bum, bum! So, I feel like this is a really important chapter. Mm-hmm. Thematically, because we, absolutely. Because we've established that ghosts are real. I mean, and, and here's the cool part. Either that, or this is just how Soren is processing no, his feelings. No, no, it's not. No, because he hasn't heard the term Metal Beak anywhere else. He's not heard the term Metal... Well, maybe one other place he has previously. But more importantly, yeah, we're going to meet another character who has seen her parents' scrooms. Oh, yeah? It's Primrose. Oh, yeah. Primrose has also seen her parents' scrooms, and they forgave her. Oh, yeah, because she had her trauma about dropping the about egg. About dropping yeah, the yeah. egg. So her parents came out of the Aurora Borealis, which is, I guess, Glaumora or some symbology for it, to forgive her and tell her that she was forgiven so that they could move on. That was their unfinished business. And then Soren gets this absolute spronk of, oh, yeah, we don't know why we're here to... <laughs> We don't know what we're warning you about, but Look, we're here. Some people are better equipped to be ghosts and come back and finish their <laughs> unfinished business than others. I guess Primrose's parents really had it together before they died. Either that or Primrose was much better at explaining to her parents why she thought there might be unfinished business for them to resolve with her. Um, How does Primrose end up in the spirit wood? She doesn't. Primrose had her own moment at the tree. Oh. Uh, her parents came to her at the Great Gahul Tree, apparently not so long after dropping those eggs. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think we get that little tidbit to kind of compare and contrast and uh-huh. see, you know, how the afterlife weighs on these kids. Yeah, On these yeah. little outlets. Just the introduction of the afterlife here is like taking up series that for all that we have joked about, like owls doing mm-hmm. human things, it's been pretty grounded and realistic as like you know these are owls doing these things rather than people but like if you replace the owls with people and you still have a real war yeah yeah and a real racial analogy Uh yeah absolutely yeah you know you would have like this would be a low fantasy sort of thing you know there's Mm -hmm. no but no now we got ghosts but then then again in the same breath and actually when i was doing my research for previous episodes this came up a lot was this very parental argument. How do you present death to mm-hmm. a kid? Uh-huh. In what context? What do you want to tell them? Uh-huh. And there are categories of what are most often used to explain death to children. Uh-huh. And number one, number one, even across Europe, yeah. is, oh, grandma went to heaven. Yeah, yeah. Grandma's an angel mm-hmm. now. Grandma's watching you from somewhere else now very very rarely it was the smallest category do adults tell children we don't know yeah i don't know if i have a personal opinion on that or not it might be Mm -hmm. a bit of a disservice because we we don't know Uh what happens when you die but also do you want your kids to stay up every night thinking about the fact how they don't know what's going to happen when they (laughs) die Exactly, it's existential terror. So to have that reflected in these little owlets uh-huh. is kind of nice, actually, because that is a very human answer. Yeah. And Soren does get some sort of comfort, I guess not some sort of comfort, but at least an answer to the fact that, like, this is where his parents are. And I like, actually, that leads really well into my next point, that it's not a comfort. Yeah, yeah. Almost immediately after this, we get a a whole chapter from Eglantine's point of view. Yeah, while Soren is off missing with the rest of the weather interpretation. After he comes back. Oh, after he comes back. He comes back. He tells everybody, here's what I saw. I saw my ghosts. Um, I think there's something up. I don't know what it is. And Eglantine goes to talk to Miss P. Yeah, because, you know, when you gotta go talk to somebody, Miss P's a pretty good choice. Well, also just imagine, like, your older brother coming back and saying, yo, I saw dead mom and dad, and then being real moody and edgy about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems like a pretty standard big sibling move. So we, we have this, I'm, I'm going to bring it back up later again when we talk more about grief next time, but like, we have a whole chapter from Eglantine and Miss P of like, 
was Soren happy? Did he say anything about being happy and having been glad to see them? What is this weight left by the dead? Uh huh. And it's not wrong, Eglantine, to to want to see your parents again, but would you be happy if you saw them like that? Yeah, yeah. What if they were sad? What if they were worried about you? Like, very valid questions mm-hmm. that kids do ask. Yeah. And valid, like, open questions. There's not, like, a clear-cut answer to those questions. They're questions that you gotta ask, but you're getting more from asking them than from answering them. Exactly, exactly. And this chapter doesn't super have an answer for Eglantine. Um, but it does sort of push her towards... You know, someday soon, I'm going to be a guardian of Gahul. If only my parents had the chance to know that. Yeah, yeah. So we start to get to see her grow and try and grow into her brother's image. Uh-huh. By the way, have we cured the rest of the racist babies with, uh... Yes. All all just using, um, stained glass? Uh, y- yes, but. <laughs> we know that we did cure the racist babies because they came with us into the hurricane. Uh-huh. Um, but clearly... As we saw with Utlissa's redemption, some of those ideas are just sort of ingrained in them. Yeah, yeah. Some of these babies are just naturally racist, I guess. Some of them are just little white babies whose parents told them that, yes, being a Taito is a great thing, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is also really accurate. I hate to say it, but, like... It's true, mm-hmm. Catherine Lasky nailed that. And like, yeah, you can rehabilitate that, you know. But that to it, some but degree it is a learned behavior. Yeah, and it's going to take time yeah. to learn a different behavior. You can't just be brainwashed into racism. Uh-huh. It is something that you grow up in mm-hmm. and around and sounds entirely natural and normal to you as uh-huh. a kid. But Eglantine's fine. But Eglantine's fine, yeah. Well, because her parents weren't racist. I, I, um, they did produce Clud. Yeah, yeah. But, like, well, we'll get into Clud when we get into Clud. Like, I ain't saying they're racist. I'm just saying there are a lot of white families in the United States right now who would say, but I'm not racist. Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. so they're not racist in the way that most people aren't racist. Yeah, yeah. They're nuanced racists. Uh-huh. Yeah. So after those really deep and difficult conversations, like mm-hmm. two or three of them in a row, um, we finally get back to the topic of, oh yeah, Ezelrib. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah, life got busy for a little bit, but now Ezelrib's still missing. And you said that we're going to go find a blacksmith and a slip gizzle? Yeah, so we learned about this from Bubo. Bubo! Bubo! Uh, which is just so much fun to say. Uh-huh. Bubo, um, we go to Bubo because of Metalbeak. Yeah. We hear these words, metal beak. Who knows about metal? Mm-hmm. Boobo, the blacksmith. Because, like, we're used to owls wearing, like, battle claws and, like, wearing them on their talons. Like, right. they use them at the Gahul tree, right? Right. They do. Yeah. Uh, Twilight, in particular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Boobo lets slip the location of a slip gizzle in Silvervale. Mm-hmm. Um, so a slip gizzle's a spy. Mm-hmm. Um... So is this a spy for the Gahul tree? Loosely. Um, they'll often call them rogue smiths. Okay, so like an in- informant. Right. That is probably the better term. Yeah. Loosely affiliated, but not necessarily aligned with. Yeah, yeah. Give you information in a pinch. Yeah. Oh, it's, it is kind of cool. So is like roving blacksmiths just a thing in this world? I guess so, yeah. Because they do definitely make weapons and armor, right? Uh-huh. Metal beak, uh, for other factions in this world. Mm-hmm. There are what's the word? Coiliers and Smiths um, outside of the Hool tree. I think it's Colliers. Colliers? Yeah, Colliers. That's how it's spelled. Yeah, so there are Colliers and Smiths outside of the Gahul tree. We just don't see a whole lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's this Slip Gizzle's name? We don't learn it. Okay. Slippy. Slippy. We don't learn it for a good long time. What we do learn, are you ready for some good old-fashioned 2000s feminism? Yeah. Is it a girl? <laughs> the doctor was the mother. 
Do you think we'll ever find him? Her, Gilfie said. It's a her. Oh, sorry. I just can't get used to a female as a blacksmith. Um, that line right there could have just been, um, a, uh, shoot, what are they? Oh, uh, Ferengi. Yeah. Ferengi, yes. <laughs> yeah, that just sounds like something a Ferengi would say. I just can't get used to a female blacksmith. <laughs> it's just that very early 2000s, like, oh, look at this girl. She can do anything because she's not like other girls. Uh-huh. And I'm so over it now, but was probably really into it as a kid. Probably, you know. So we know where to go. We know why to go. Wait, where did the slip gizzle say as a rip went? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. We know that we gotta get to the slip gizzle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we gotta go find the slip gizzle. We know who we're going with. The Chaw of Chaws is going. Eglantine uh-huh. is gonna go. And Primrose is also gonna go. Uh-huh. Uh, but in order to get out, we have to wait for the festival. Uh, and after yeah. all these heavy conversations, we need a, we need a sprunken festival. Uh-huh. I almost cussed, but I caught it with an owl word. Are you ready for the world's worst flirt? Yes. Actually, do you want me to read it? I... Or you really want to read it? Would love to read it. Okay, you read it. Uh, But more importantly, their plan to sneak out Mm -hmm. is let everybody get really drunk. Yeah, yeah. What what alcohol do these owls drink? Wine. Ah, yeah. Wine is an owl word. And Bubo comes in singing how wine makes your gizzard ripple. I mean... Birds do get drunk on fermented berries. That is essentially what they're doing. Like, I feel like it's like magpies will eat, like, rotten fermented berries and then be very goofy. You know, just like some other animals also have some good times with fermented berries. Alright, so yeah, so everyone's hitting the wine hardcore. Everyone's hitting the wine. Um, The evening, however, seemed to drag on and on. Owls were getting tipsy. But would the dancing ever spill over to the outside? Utlissa had come up and insisted on a dance with Soren. He didn't even like to dance. He felt awkward and stupid. It wasn't like flying at all, even though it was done in the air. Which, let's pause and just appreciate the idea of owl dancing in the air. I think that's flying. It's not like flying at all, Soren says so. I think it's a subcategory of flying. <laughs> now, Udlissa had taken it on herself to instruct him in this silly dance called the Glock Glock. <laughs> Beautiful. Look, Soren, it's not that hard. It's one, two, Glock Glock Glock. Then backwards, one, two, Glock Glock Glock. Udlissa was batting her eyes. And shaking her tail feathers. Great Glocks, was she flirting with him? Now, imagine yourself once again as a nice, you know, 12-year-old child. Wait, we, is that, we said that Soren's an adult. Okay, but you're reading this at 12 years old. Oh, though, yeah, yeah, you know? Okay, that's, sorry, that's what you meant. Yeah. What is your response to an unwanted advance? Run away? Soren decides to use it. Uh-huh. You know, Lissa, I think I could do this better if we were outside. He makes a conscious decision uh-huh. to take somebody else's flirt and use it for his master plan to escape the tree. Uh-huh. Which is beautiful, and I appreciate it only because it's Lissa. It's the smartest thing Soren's done so far. <laughs> That's true. That's true and sad. Um, it gets better. Slightly. As they're going outside for their dance that Soren offered, uh-huh. um, he saw sees another spotted owl coming in through the door. Uh-huh. He knew that Utlissa had a crush on the particular spotted owl with whom Eglantine now had as her dance partner. He came from a lineage as ancient and distinguished as Utlissa's own. Soren managed to glock, glock, glock across the air and threw some branches to where the spotted owl and Eglantine were dancing. May I cut in and have a dance with my own sister? When Utlissa saw with whom she was about to be partnered, she nearly swooned in midair. How do you swoon in midair? I will take drawings for that, thank you. I will. I would love some drawings. Send yes. me your drawings. This, this is the scene I want a drawing of. 
absolutely. Uh, we will absolutely re retweet, reblog anyone who can send us a picture of what they think an owl swooning looks like. So, thanks to Utlis's terrible flirts, we leave the tree, mm -hmm. we fly to Silvervale, Gilfie gets us there because she's the navigator. Yep, yep. Glocks bless Gilfie. Um, and then who do we send to meet and greet this rogue smith? Who's um, the best choice in the Chav Chaz? Like, Soren's our best boy, but I feel like that's too obvious for you to be asking that as a question. Um, Eglantine is baby still. Um. Oh, fun fact. Eglantine actually gets left behind because she tries to bring her bestie with her. And Soren's like, no, nah, girl, you're not mature enough and you just proved it. Get out. So she and Primrose don't get to go? Yeah, <laughs> after all that. Okay. But I thought you said that. Uh, Eggy and Primrose did come along. So. They make the first flight, and then they're made to turn around and go back. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I feel like Twilight would want to, and Gilfie would say no. So that leaves Digger, who is the most down-to-earth of all of them. That's what I thought. Yeah, mm -hmm. makes sense. Send Digger. They do. Uh-huh. Down-to-earth, friendly, deep-thinker. Uh -huh. Empathetic digger. Yeah, we really haven't talked about him much in the first couple books, really. Which really isn't fair. He does have a part in this first part of this book as well, uh -huh. of dealing with Soren's grief and being like, hey man, you ever want to talk? When you're ready to talk, I'll listen. Uh-huh. Go digger. Yeah, yeah. Just the the best of the friends. The best of the friends. Because, yeah, because you always need the friend who you can come to and talk about problems where they won't immediately leap into action to solve it, like Twilight or Gilfley would. You know? Right. So, our wonderful, beautiful digger, looking around on the ground for the blacksmith's forge, because he is best suited with his long-running legs, Uh-huh. greets our mysterious smith with, I beg your rack-drop pardon, you wretched piece of wet poop! <laughs> what brought that on? Um, I mean, to be fair... This roguesmith was insulting first with great stinking glocks. I might have known a burrowing owl with most likely a small burrow where your brain should be. What happened? Did it fall out? <laughs> because right, so he literally like tumbles over her stuff. Oh, like, so yeah. So just given as good as he got. Well, so he, so he gives as good as he gets and gets back. Wet poop. I'll splat you. And immediately goes. This isn't working. Truce? <laughs> Which is beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it's just like, who are you? Oh, you're the rogue smith. Wait here, I'll be right back. <laughs> like, all of our beautiful character growth from Digger, uh -huh. with all of his empathy and deep thoughts, out the window. It's just gone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, that just makes me think of, like, multiple times in role-playing games where... <laughs> Either That's of exactly us have just completely flubbed social interactions. Not even, like, based on dice rolls, just on, like, pure role-playing. <laughs> just getting it so wrong. And then somebody else has to come up uh -huh. and clean it up. Yes. And then we're, we're almost actually at the end of our first half here. Uh, we're going to talk to the smith, and that's about it. Yeah, what do we learn from this mysterious smith? This mysterious smith... Is a snowy owl. The Rogue Smith. The story of the Rogue Smith, chapter 10. Um, I also learned a new owl cuss from this Ooh, chapter, which yes. is Frinks. Frinks? Frinks. This owl frinks me off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. Alright, we will add that into the. Utlissa really just freaks you off. Utlissa really frinks me off. Um, they learn kind of what a smith is, what a slipgizzle is, and... It's like Hortense was a slipgizzle, yeah? Hortense was a slipgizzle, yes, although not for the Guardians. Um, And they learn that this beautiful snowy owl is the sister of... Ubo. Madame Plonk. Wait, who's Madame Plonk? The harpist. Madame, Madame Plonk's the harpist owl. Oh, I think we brought her up once, but I have runs forgotten. runs her guild of snakes. Because oh. you can't have a snake in charge of a guild, it has to be an owl. Uh-huh. She's the director of the harp snakes. Yes, yes. And this is her sister. I had completely forgotten Madame Plonk existed. Uh, I mean, valid. She doesn't do, like, a lot. 
Anyway, but she has a cool spy sister. She has a cool spy sister who knows about the others. Mm-hmm. Who are the others? Like, I feel like at this point, this organization has a name, right? Like, someone has to know its name. Oh, no, no, no. The others? The others are us. Oh. The others are humans. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, So yes. we learn about walled gardens and castles from uh-huh. this smith and how the creepy others and their bones are still around in them. Uh-huh. Yeah, just further cementing a thing I brought up in the first episode and said I was going to harp on and then haven't, which is that this is like the human post-apocalypse. Yeah. The owls have risen. And it's unclear at what point humans died off because only the stonework remains. It's only, you know, castles and, and walled mm-hmm. gardens and things. So it must have been like... We had our renaissance period. Uh-huh. And then we died. Uh-huh. Never, I, I never learned why. But, more importantly, we learn about the Northern Kingdoms, which oh, is yes. where snowy owls are from. Uh-huh. We learn that Octavia, the blind nest-made snake... Oh, yes, of Ezelrib. ...was not blind. She was a freaking assassin snake. What? She was an assassin snake! Like an assassin working for Gahul or working against Gahul? Neither. Oh. Totally unrelated. Oh, just so we get this whole history about a land that's literally not even on our map. Yeah? About these ongoing wars in the Northern Kingdom and these this war of the Ice Claws and the Battle of the Ice Talons and these long lineages that Ezelrib was a part of. According oh, yeah. to the slip gizzle. I think we eventually get some prequels following young Ezelrib. I kind of hope so, because it sounds even better than this stuff. Yeah, I believe he's called Lies then, and then he does the classic yes. character thing of flipping his name around. So naturally, like the Choctaws, they don't really believe this slip gizzle. Mm-hmm. But everything she's saying makes sense, fills in their mystery. They just don't really like it. But does it explain where Ezelrib went? It explains that Ezelrib has a lot of enemies out there, that he's kind of a legend, a legendary warrior, and a lot of people would love to take him down. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get a really cool story about her killing her stepmom. Evil stepmom. Evil stepmom. Yep. 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 Avenging her mother's death. Again, grief. Mm-hmm. Loss. How is she going to deal with that? This slip is going to make her own battle claws and kill her stepmother with them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. More Owl Hamlet. More Owl Hamlet, and we're going to see that come up again in the back half of the book uh-huh. when we get Ezelrib's backstory. Yeah. Because this is what sends them to go looking for, like, who is Ezelrib, actually? Uh-huh. And he's a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. But we'll have to talk about that in the second half of the book in our next episode. Is there anything else we need to talk about from this first half of The Rescue? Hmm. Given that we have been talking for an hour. (laughs) We don't want to believe that our Yoda is violent. Um. Got bad news about the prequels. (laughs) Yeah. And we gotta go confront Octavia. And somehow we have to get away with having escaped the tree. Uh Uh-huh. Do we go back to the tree before we go out again to find Ezelrib? Of course we do. We have to get in trouble for leaving. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. There was a lot there about grief, about ghosts being real. Mm-hmm. 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 And just a lot of mystery setup. Uh-huh. As slow as this first half of the book sounds, I gotta say, it read so much easier than it, the last book. There was a lot more to say about it. It felt more coherent from yeah. everything we talked through. Like, the themes fit together better. Um, we establish characters early and then stay with them and they keep mattering. Yeah. In the journey, I was never quite sure what we were journeying, journeying toward. Mm-hmm. This one feels like a mystery setup and there's actually clues to put together and, you know, actually a, a target to go and get clues from. Yeah. So it feels much better structurally. This feels like where the series begins. Yeah. Yeah. Like... The, the first book always did kind of feel like a prologue. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's good. I loved the first book. Mm-hmm. I have reread the first book multiple times at this point. Uh-huh. 
But the second one really dropped off on expectations, and I wonder mm-hmm. now if it was necessary at all. Yeah, if we couldn't have just had the events of the first book happen in the first, mm-hmm. like, three or four chapters of the second book. Have them immediately get to the tree and start training mm-hmm. and confront that history. Yeah. yeah. Have a little bit of Soren's relationship with Ezelrib. Right. And then Ezelrib disappears, and then time jump. Because these are books, at their core, about confronting history Mm -hmm. so what was the point of the journey (laughs) except to to make time pass Uh uh-huh so yeah it's gonna get even better from here good yeah i'm excited now because yeah now we're going to start getting into the real like plot of these books like you said and i remember being very very into it as a kid and i remember very little that stayed in my head but i remember that it was engaging enough for me now that I'm excited to see if it's still engaging. Everything has been set up. War is coming. Yes. All right. Uh, it's about time for us to wrap up, but first we have to take a trip over to the Owl Fact Corner. Oh, good. So, are you ready for some Owl Facts, Hit CJ? me with those Owl Facts. So, today is Great Horned Owl Day. We are continuing to work through the band. Um... I have three Great Horned Owl facts here. One of them is false. You have to tell me which one. Fact number one. Great Horned Owls are some of the longest living owls, with many of them living over 20 years, even in the wild. That's old for a bird. Uh Uh-huh. It's very old for a bird. I feel like I read that, like, one of them got up to, like, I don't know, 30 years in captivity? Well, now I think that one's true. Also, I guess, in the same breath, we do have, like, human lifespan for other similarly sized birds like parrots. That's true, that's true. So that makes total sense. I think that one's true. Alright, uh, while great horned owls' ear tufts are not actual ears, they have holes in the side of the head ears just like other owls, they do actually help them hear more accurately. They can interfere with sounds coming from different directions, allowing them to precisely locate prey, just like barn owls do with their lopsided ears. That makes sense. I'm tempted to say true. Okay, and our last fact, I wrote this one because it's going to be very fun to say. Great horned owls are known to make a variety of vocalizations in sudden bursts. Quote, descriptions of some of these odd sounds include a growling, oh, note pair, a laughing, a high-pitched, a weak, soft, a cat-like, a hawk-like note of, and a nighthawk-like, I'm sorry, can I get that last one again? A nighthawk-like, maybe a third time for me. Um, I feel like that third one is the easiest one to be like, oh, that's actually a different owl. Those are all real sounds, but not for the great horn, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um So I'm gonna go th- I'm gonna go three is false. Alright. You ready for the answer? Hit me. Three is true. Two is false. Oh, well I then com- what are their tufts for? Uh no one really knows. They just have ear tufts. They just have ear tufts. I guess humans just have ear hair, so uh-huh. fair enough. You know, it's probably like uh a thing that might relate to like socialization and mating behavior but as far as i could read like there's no like one clear answer as to what their ear tufts do besides just being there did you just make that one up i completely made that one up impressive i really thought you were gonna see right through it but i'm glad that i wrote it convincing enough all right so that was the owl fact corner um next time we're reading the second half of the rescue Mm -hmm. page 100 to the end yeah, um, shoutouts to the composer of our show's music, Morgan Jackson. Shoutouts to the designer of our cover art, Matthias Lissack. We're a member of the Moonshot Network. Woohoo! Uh, recommend highly all the other shows on the network. Also, we do streams. I have been streaming uh, Monday evenings at 7 Pacific, 10 Eastern. When I'm recording this, I've been working through a Celeste challenge run, but I might be playing a different video game by the time that this episode comes out. Also, we are doing a Moon Landing fundraiser stream. Let me find the exact date of that. Yeah, 
So, the end of May, there will be a moon landing stream, it'll be a weekend-long fundraiser. I believe the network did the same thing last year, and actually this, oh yes, this year it will be the moon carnival. The moon carnival? It will be the moon carnival. I want to go to a carnival on the moon. Uh, or is that moon blinking? Uh, I hope we're not doing any moon blinking. Anyway, uh, I'm sure I'll have more to say about that on our next episode, because that will be closer to the actual dates. Uh, but just want to float that out there. Also want to thank anyone who joined up during April's uh, Patreon drive. Uh, there's a lot of great t content on the Patreon, including early episodes of Champs in the Making, the best idea for a podcast of all time. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, PB, yeah. but I believe it is our intention when we finish all these books to watch the Guardians of Kahul movie. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We've been saying after book six. And I believe... That there is a podcast on our Patreon specifically dedicated it, to... It's not Patreon exclusive, though. Oh, it's not? I thought it was. Oh, no, there's two different movie podcasts on the network. There's uh, Unnatural Selection, mm -hmm. which is all about movie adaptations, who are, we're hoping to do a crossover with when we do watch this Zack Snyder film. Yes. Uh, you were thinking of Once Missed Wonders, which is a I Patreon was. exclusive show, or various hosts around the network, though neither of us so far watch classic movies that they've never seen before and talk about them. Good stuff. Good stuff. This is going to be a classic someday. <laughs> it already is. It, it was referenced in an episode of 30 Rock. That makes it a classic. <laughs> anyway, we were way off topic. What were we talking about? We were about? way off topic. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter and at Tumblr at Pod. That is us. Also, still putting out the same challenge I did last episode of, um, if you send us you performing, either as a poem or a song or whatever form you think it should be performed, one of the pieces of owl, uh, writing in these books, one of Twilight's songs, one of the songs from Soren's childhood, we would love to run that on the show as its own little segment. Uh, I'm probably gonna do, try to do one of my own. I'll tell you what, I will do my terrible uke cover. Of Ezelrib's great saga <laughs> when somebody sends us fan art. Perfect, perfect. Fan art or their own interpretation of one of the songs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's fan art. That counts. Uh-huh. I would just put that more as fan work. Fan yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Music is art, but fan art I always think of as being visual art, you know? That's fair. Send us fan work, I'll do a terrible uke cover. I can't sing, so you'll love it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I already sung Twilight Song in the last episode. And Did going, you? Going back through the edit, that was painful to listen <laughs> to. I was like, oh, I can put music behind this. Make it more listenable. Listener, <laughs> I could not figure out how to put music behind that to make it more listenable. <laughs> so, thank you if you managed to survive that. I can read. I can't sing. I can read. Yeah, I'm still thinking that you need to just perform one of these in slam poetry, because you actually kind of have the chops for that. Uh, you. I hold mild shame over my beautiful slam poetry days. I still love them. But it hurts. You just spent like 80 minutes ranting about a children's book. You know, that's a valid point. Into a microphone. You're right. You're right. Is that really Any... less embarrassing than slam poetry? In certain circles, yes. But in many other circles? Still, yes. Also, do you really want to be friends or acquaintances with people who are going to shame you for slam poetry? Look, 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 look. Okay, I can run around to people and say, yeah, I do a really niche podcast on a children's book series. And they'll smile and nod and go, oh, yeah, you're a, a children's librarian. Totally makes sense. I get you. I cannot go to anyone with a serious face and say, oh, yeah, I do slam poetry. And have them go, oh, that's nice. I can't do it. It hurts. I don't know. If you have different opinions about how embarrassing slam poetry is, let us know. Uh, you could also let us know in the Moonshot Discord. We're making these wrap-ups take way too long, aren't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have one more fun fact for you, which is when I told my mom about doing this podcast, she said, like, oh, well, you'd better make sure you know that it's all, like, good for children to listen to because oh, no. they're the fans of these books who are going to listen. Oh, no. Like, oh. oh, I hope she's wrong. I'm pretty certain she's oh, wrong. Oh, I've said so much spronk, that can't be true. <laughs> uh, well, if we have any children listeners, um, 
I didn't intend for this. I'm sorry. We don't swear on the show, so it's clean. I've definitely sweared it. Hell is an owl swear word. If if it's... Hell is written in these books. These books are acceptable for children to read. So therefore we can say the word hell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Well, I think with that, just remember, listen to your gizzard. Listen to your gizzard. Listen to your fucking gizzard. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th. Hi, Licky Boy. Could you not be Licky Boy? You were so calm this whole time, and then we started talking, and that's what did it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hi, sweet guy. Yeah, you got the licks. Curl on back up. You have the tired smell. Curl on back up. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I hope this is my birthday. Thank you for being so happy. Yeah, but that will, the level of the licking will go below well, where I well, set the well, limiter, so it should be okay. fine. Yes, that is your my... second one. Oh, uh-huh, he's tired. Or maybe he's waking up. I'm gonna go with he's tired. Oh. Oh yes. You'll you'll have to let him be before he'll yeah. go back up. I think. Okay, well done. Wait, I wanted more done. Mm-hmm. Wait, excuse me. Excuse me. I wanted more. Grow back up, bagel boy. Wait up. Wait up. I'm sorry we woke you up. <laughs> You're just a needy guy. It's only because I said let's start recording. It is. I said, oh yes, I got remember I, I'm producing the podcast. Oh, he's our executive producer? I said so. That's his job on the podcast is he's the producer. How? Well, like, the producer's, like, the person who, like, sits in the booth and, like, kind of listens in as you're recording and, you know, like... Tells you not to do that. Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes, like, in more, like, chatty shows, the producer becomes, like, a character or, like, another co-host, essentially. Sure, Sam Reich style. Yeah, 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 Sam Reich style. Oh, we're gonna have a problem. Chowder's in the window. Uh Uh-oh. Should I just shut the curtains now? Maybe. Yeah.